This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Good afternoon, everybody, and thank you for joining me on this edition of Invest Talk. And most people are back to work today, I think, and if you are among them, which I was, you may be ready to focus once again on the business of managing your investments, trying to make your money make money. Remember, you earn your money and then you want your money to earn money for you. That's the goal. We talk about that every day here and how to protect it while you're trying to grow is also important. And we also try to add beneficial stories to the mix, the kind of stories that, while informational, always have an angle that demonstrate how the topic of discussion can affect your money. Now, I'm Steve Peasley, and during this hour of Invest Talk, I'm going to do my very best to answer your financial questions. Sure, you can call and ask about a certain stock you own. That's fine. Or maybe, uh, you know, or maybe following you know, whatever, whatever positions you have. And I also encourage you to inquire about a broad range of topics, anything financial. Because, so, you know, we want to inform and guide, and your questions serve to better educate the entire audience, not just you and about your stock. So with that said, we welcome your calls at 888-99-CHART. And coming up in a few minutes, I'm going to talk about the things you should know concerning your credit, your credit score, I should say, your credit score, and how it's calculated. There's some misconceptions out there. Now, you know, credit scores is important because having a good or a great credit score can save you lots and lots of money. It can't. First, though, when Invest Talk, the radio program, ends each day, people think about what they've heard. They might go online to investtalk.com to learn more. And I encourage you that I encourage that you do that. I really do. And you know, you can call our 24-hour listen line anytime you want. 888-99-CHARTERS is our number, 888-992-4278. Tim, San Diego, how you doing, Tim? Hi, I'm doing well. I have a question on a 401k account. I've got a mutual fund that I've been investing in, and in 2004, they closed it to new investors. Yes. So I'm still able to contribute, and I do. However, I've heard that there could be some disadvantages to funds that are closed to new investors. Can you add any information to that? I don't think there is disadvantages. If you forgive me, let me explain it to everybody else. Mutual funds are open-ended. All mutual funds are open-ended, and you can keep buying shares, but they do have the right to close it. That means that they say, we got too much money for what we do, or we don't want to get too much money for what we do. Maybe we buy small-cap stocks, and we're getting too big. Or too much money flooded in too fast. That happens, too. It's very responsible for the fund managers to close it. When I hear a fund manager closing the fund, I say good for them because they have recognized they're not as greedy as they could be, Tim, right? I mean, what money manager doesn't want more and more and more money? They make a percentage of all the money they manage. So if they closed it, there's not too many downsides. Now, when a fund is closed, it's usually just closed for any new investors, but existing clients, existing investors 
can continue to add money if they want to. And that's the situation you find yourself. Now, yeah. Tim, the disadvantages of a closed fund. Well, the disadvantage was, is there, there's a reason why they closed the fund. The reason could be they have too much money to stay focused in the investments that they have. It's a good and bad thing. Well, the good thing is they recognize that they want to stay focused on what they can do, and that's by not taking more and more and more money in. The bad is they probably got too much money, so they might underperform. This is a huge fund. It's called the Prime Cap Fund at Vanguard. Oh, oh. well, absolutely means very little in this situation because they are so big. They are the market. Oh. They are so big, Tim. When they throw around a few billion dollars, that's pennies to them. So they're so big, they have to buy the big stocks and pretty much whatever the stock market does, they do. It's almost like buying an index fund. Okay. As a growth fund, it's okay. It's a good component to still having a 401k. Sure. Plan. There's nothing wrong with it. I wouldn't pick it because of the size. I, I'm kind of a guy who likes to make sure the manager has flexibility. And because of the size, I wouldn't pick it. But your 401k, that might be one of the better ones in your 401k because you don't get a lot of choices. Great. Well, okay. thanks for the information. Thanks for calling. It. Thank okay. you. Now, according to a survey released last month, the percentage of consumers who are obtaining their credit score, in other words, want to know what their credit score is, over the past four years has been rising quite a bit. 2014, 49% of the consumers checked their credit score. Now it's up to 57%. So why are more people checking? Well, I think it's I think the greater number of consumers are realizing they have a that if they have a strong credit score, they can get they can get better, better terms on their on their loans. You know, the better your credit score, the better terms you get. Generally, it can save you lots and lots of money. So I think, I think is I think people are just getting wise to the idea that credit scores are important, and important to them personally. The survey also showed that people who get their score know much more about how the system works than those who do not. Okay, so that's interesting too. Uh, do you know what are the main factor is uh, uh, which which is used to calculate your credit score? One of the main factors, the one that probably count and it does count the most, and that's your missed payments. Eighty-six percent got that right. And what are what are the other things? So you got payment history. That's number one. But thirty-five percent of that, thirty-five percent of your credit score is based on payment history. Then the next one down, 30%, amounts owed. Amounts of how much money you owe. Then the length of credit history, then credit mix, and then new credit accounts. Those are the top things that go into your credit score. You know what does not go into your credit score? Whether you're married or single, that doesn't matter, which I think most people think it does, and it does not. Okay, what does it do? Oh, a credit score or a FICO score, uh, it, it, it provides it's information to the people who are lending. And FICO scores range from 300 to 850 points. 300 to 850. Okay. One thing, I'll, I'll end this with one suggestion. Take good care of your credit. You never know when you might need the high credit score. You just never know. And for the record, if you get to a point when you know you are ready for a professional, unbiased, and experienced investing or real estate guidance, feel free to give us a call. Justin and myself, we are very well versed in these kinds of things. 
and we can help you. We want to help you. But now I invite you to, you know, for I invite you to give me a call on the anytime listener line number. The number is 888-99-CHART. So what's going to be our feature talking point today? How to make mini retirement without delaying your full retirement. What do I mean by that? Well, we're going to get to that. Because with the right planning, you can take some mid-career time off if you want. With the right planning, that's the key. And should you do this? Well, we'll talk about it. I also want to talk about good, bad and good news for the economy. Bad and good news. Be interesting. What will be the what will the next ten years be like for the stock market? I'm going to do some long-term prognostication, which is extremely subjective, right? But I want to talk about that. You know, based on you know, I was you've been, you know, I look at history right a lot myself, and it kind of gives us, you know, what trends are can happen, and what valuations are for the stock markets over long periods of time. So I want to talk about that a little bit. And did you hear about, you know, we, we've been, it's been in the news, everybody's talking about the tariffs and a tariff war, a, a trade war, all that kind of stuff. Well, there was a, a, there was something that came out today that might hint at what, what President Trump's ultimate goal is and how he might achieve it. So I want to talk about that today, too. I'm Steve Peasley. I'm, ta- I'm taking your questions now on our Anytime Listener Line. We can do, you know, we can and do talk about a wide range of topics, as long as they're financial. Specific stocks, to conditions of overall market, the economy, how overseas trading partners reacting to Trump and how that's going to hurt our economy, or is it going to help our economy? What will it do long term? Call me, 888-99-CHART. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99 Chart, 888 99 C H A R T, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hi, my name is Elias from Danville. I'm 29, uh, again, new to investing. Uh, I have about $100 to $200 to invest per month. Um, No, it's not a lot. Right now, I contribute to a 403B at work at about 10%. And I opened up an IRA a few months ago that is allocated to various growth and value index funds that include like a large, small, mid, international, and emerging, emerging market fund, um, which is where right now where I put the $1 to $200 per month. And my question is, uh, should I continue to invest the $1 to $200 a month in my IRA, kind of like in a dollar cost averaging, or should I open up a separate brokerage account where I can collect the gains Regularly, uh, my overall goal is uh, long-term growth and early retirement. So basically, should my goal be to contribute the max to my Roth before I think about opening up a uh, brokerage account? Thanks. Bye. The simple answer is yes. Uh, I'd have to ask a few more questions, but generally, yes. You really want to put as much money away as you can earlier. The earlier you can put that money into the market, you know, in your lifetime. The longer has to longer has to grow, and it's been proven over and over and over and over again that that's the best way to do it. Invest early as much as you can, because it's the time factor that's the most important about investments. Time, you know, 
you, you, you hear everybody, everybody's trying to win the lottery. And even in the stock market, I'm looking for that stock that's going to, you know, make me a bazillion dollars. No, that's not how you manage a portfolio of stocks. That's not how money grows normally. You know, it grows steady and over time. And one of the reasons why I like dividend stocks is they pay you, they, they, the earnings that the companies make is being paid to me as the owner of the company. And I want that money. So that, that's a good way to do it. But it takes a long time. It's not a quick and easy solution to get rich. If you want to try to get rich, you go to Las Vegas, you play the lottery, and then lose all your money that way. Right? How many people do you know has won the lottery and made millions of dollars in Vegas? Nobody. No. I'm not saying don't go to Vegas or don't play the lottery, but don't use any significant money. That's vacation money and that's spare change in your pocket. But most of your money, all your extra spare money should be invested in the market. And a dollar cost average approach is a very good way to do it. Very good way to do it. So I think you should pat yourself on the back. The one thing I don't know about you, which would be helpful, is how old you are. You sound young, but I don't know that. And the younger you are, the better, because you have more time. Yeah, I, I do like your 401k, uh, your, I'm sorry, I do like your Roth IRA, because you already have the, I think you said 403b, which is, you know, your work retirement account, and that's probably... Um, uh, after tax, you know, that's probably money that is growing that you're going to have to pay taxes on eventually. The Roth, you, all the growth you have in the Roth, you'll never have to pay taxes on. So I kind of like that. I like that idea. Having both. I like having both. If you're a regular listener to Invest Talk, you likely know that from time to time I go to the extra, I, I try to go the extra mile to make it easy for listeners to get a one on one personalized portfolio advice from me. And I do meetings, as you know. I enjoy meeting with folks and look forward to my next slate of portfolio reviews. You can register register on investtalk.com if you want to meet with me. There's no cost. But now our lines are open. So you can give me a call right now. Ask any question financially you want. 888-99-CHART. Listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments though, 888 99 Chart, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Okay, how would you take, how would you go about taking a mini retirement without delaying, delaying your full retirement plan? Mini retirement means taking a few months off. You know, a lot of teachers take sabbaticals, but the rest of us don't do that. A sabbatical is where they take sometimes up to a year off. Okay, you can do it too. You can, but you have to plan for it. You just can't just one day decide, I'm going to quit. Okay, I'm going to quit. You can't do that. First of all, you got to make sure your assets that you... Okay, you're going to have to start putting money away for that period of time. Okay. You've got to have the money set aside from all other expenses and all other types of living 
situations, retirement accounts, and all that. Besides all that, you now have to set money aside for a separate savings account for that mini retirement. You're going to have to plan it far in advance. When I say far, I mean 10, 15 years in advance. Long time. And all this time, you've got to still keep your nest egg for your full retirement growing. You've got to keep it active. You've got to keep doing that. You can't just ignore it. Okay, so this is what you do. Starting now, you start, set up a separate account, and this is your mini retirement account. Okay, you start putting money in it. How long your mini retirement lasts depends on how much money you're going to be putting aside, how much you can put aside. But you have to start doing it early, and you can't, it's going to take a long, long time. You have to be prepared for that. And then, of course, that we aren't even talking about your regular career and getting the time off. Some, if you plan it far enough and you talk to your employer, some will let you do it, depending on the, the job you do and who you work for. Many of them won't let you do that, take that much time off. But if you're a great worker, they will. I would. Our Invest Talk mission is to help you make better investing decisions. To do that on your own, thumbs up or thumbs down choices based on good, solid investing principles. But we need your questions to keep us on track. 888-99-CHART or click on Contact Steve or Contact Justin on investtalk.com. Okay, remember we love beginner questions, so we welcome your question at 888-99-CHART. Now, what is the question? You told us some time ago how to, a couple of methods to figure the value of a stock. Would you repeat those for me? Certainly. I'd be happy to, Jay. There's two very easy ways. Now, these, of course, are not the only ways, Jay. But these are two very easy, quick ways to do it so you can get an idea if you're overpaying or underpaying for a stock. The first one is takes next year's earnings per share. Next year's earnings per share. Let's say it's a dollar per share next year. Not this year, the future. You want to know what the future is. And let's say that earnings per share grew 20%. So this year, maybe the earnings per share is $0.85, cents, and next year it's going to be a dollar, and it grew about 20%. Okay. All you do is take 20, that percent, 20, the number 20, times next year's earnings per share of a dollar, and that stock is worth about $20. Where do you get those numbers? There's a number of places. They're all over the Internet. You go to MSN Money. You can go to Yahoo Finance. And all these will give you earnings projections for next year and tell you what the earnings are this year per share. I see. And then all you do is look at it and say, oh, okay. They may not give you the percentage, but they'll tell you, okay, the company made $0.72 cents per share this last year, and the analysts expected to go to a, uh, earn a dollar twenty next year. Well, gee, well, how much is that? That's $0.50. Cents. That's about an 80% increase. Yep. 80 times next year's earnings per share, that's the stock price. That's the number one. The second one is you should never pay more than about two times the market capitalization for the sales that the company is making. So let's say the company is selling a billion dollars worth of product, yep. and the total market capitalization is $5 billion. What is a market capitalization? Simple number. It's a number of shares outstanding times the price of the shares. That number is $5 billion, and they're only selling $1 billion. That means that's more than two times sales. That's not a very good number. 
Never pay more than four times sales. That's a very bad number. So that just gives you an idea of the overall bigness and how much sales to relationship is. And that's important relationship. Those are two ways to evaluate a stock. Very fine. Appreciate the call. Thank you very much. Thank you. Let's go to Lee in San Mateo. How are you doing, Lee? Oh, just fine. Thank you for taking my call. I really Thank you. Uh, appreciate your advice on retirement plan. I thought, I wish I would have known that. Uh, I'm retired about five years or so now. Okay. Anyway, I'm calling okay. uh, today because I would like your thoughts on uh, investing in uh, treasury notes. What is the best way uh, okay. of you know, is that safe or is there something else that is even safer than treasury notes? Okay, there's absolutely nothing in the world safer than treasury notes. It's absolutely safe. Okay? So you cannot get safer than that. So if you buy treasury notes, you're going to be absolutely safe. Okay? You can buy them direct from the treasury called Treasury Direct. You can, you know, the, get that information. It's not very difficult. You can get that information called Treasury Direct, unless they change the name. And you can buy them. You can go to your bank. Your local bank can help you do that as well. If you want to buy the treasuries yourself. You can also buy them in an ETF or from a mutual fund, but I would suggest you buy them yourself directly because there's virtually no cost if you're going to do treasuries. Okay? I'm Steve Peasley. Give me a call at 888-99-CHART. We thank you for subscribing to our podcast. You can join our Invest Talk insiders and gain access to our library of webinars, like Seeing the Cycles, How to Recognize and Harness the Power of Market Cycles. Hidden in the continuous stream of numbers are cyclical occurrences, which help us anticipate both opportunity and risk. It's a free benefit for our InvestTalk listeners. Just click on the InvestTalk tab on InvestTalk.com. You're listening to an encore presentation of InvestTalk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888-99-CHART, 888-99-CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next InvestTalk. Okay, bad and good news for the economy. Bad and good news, okay? Now, why, why bad news is because the new bad news is companies, companies are still not spending, not spending their money on themselves to grow their business, to get new uh, equipment, new computer software. They're not spending very much. How do we know that? Well, you can figure it out by as, as a percentage of GDP, okay? In the early 80s, 1980s, it peaked at 13% of GDP, corporations spending money on themselves to, to build new factories or buy new equipment, whatever. And that was 13%. In the recession of 2008, it fell all the way to 7%. Today, 8 and 3 quarters percent as a percentage of GDP. And why it used as a percentage of GDP? Because in absolute dollars, they're spending more money. But that really doesn't mean a lot because they're growing their income and everything else when you're trying to grow the entire economy, right? The whole economy is growing. 
Therefore, you need more manufacturing, need more spending. And it should be a percentage of the size of your economy, what you spend on new equipment. So, why is that good news? I just told you the bad news because it's not, not very much. The good news is they got a lot of catching up to do. If they spend the money, if they do, it will prolong the economic cycle or prolong the stock market cycle. That's the good part of spending too little because they got to catch up at some point. Some point they're going to have to spend more money to stay competitive in the world. And, and Trump is, is giving them the opportunity to spend more money by lowering taxes and allowing them to bring money back to the United States to reinvest in themselves. So hopefully they won't keep doing stock buybacks. Okay, I know stock buybacks are good for us investors, but I'm talking long term. We want the companies to spend money on themselves. Okay, it, it makes perfect sense and it's good for everything. 888-99-CHARTER is our number, everybody. You can reach us. We have lines open, 888-992-4278. Let's go to Casey in Sunnyvale. How are you doing, Casey? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm doing great. I have a question. I wanted to do some sort of an alternative gift for my nephew, who's three years old. I don't like the idea of buying toys, you know, crappy toys. Okay. I wanted to know if you have any have... suggestions for somewhere to put maybe money away for him. Have you considered an atma? It's a Uniform Gift to Minors Act. And what it is, you can actually open up an account in their name and where you are the manager. But you're really giving the money to them. And you give money every year, and you uh-huh. can manage it. And when he turns 18, it becomes his money. Okay, and I can find that at, like, any traditional bank, or do I need to go to, You like, can open up an account something? at Schwab. Any money manager firm will open up an UTMA. Uniform. Uh-huh. And is there like a minimum you have to put in? Nope. Or is there nope. criteria? Nope. nope. <laughs> you can put in a buck. <laughs> really? And it yeah. grows a little bit of interest each year? Is yeah. That what it does, it, you put it initially, if it's very small, you just let it sit in the money market and you make money market rates. When it gets big enough that you can buy a mutual fund, you know, a few years down the road, you buy a mutual fund. And it really is a great tool to teach a young kid when he gets 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, how to make money, how to save money. I think it's a good idea. Beautiful. Well, thank you very much. That helps me out tremendously. Thanks, Casey. I'm Steve Peasley. I'm very glad you've chosen to listen to me here on InvestTalk.com radio. I appreciate it. Please remember that when the program ends, it will be archived in podcast form on InvestTalk.com. Uh, we do this so you can revisit the topic or listen to the show again or share the broadcast. You know, uh, with I would love for you to share with family and friends. Appreciate that. You can listen to the podcast online, download it, listen to it anytime you want, when you're at the gym or just walking around or in the car, whatever. Uh, but we've got time for more questions. So now's the time to call 888-99-CHART. Managing multiple mutual funds, researching professional services, where to put your savings. If it's about money and if it's important to you, we want to know more about it. We're here for you. 888-99-CHART is how to reach Steve or Justin right now on InvestTalk. I'm wondering if you could answer my question regarding cash flow. I've heard you talk about cash flow for a while now, and I've started using that in my metrics, and it's certainly making it, making it a little easier for me, but I'm, I'm not sure what metric you like specifically. Is it price to cash flow, price to free cash flow? Is it cash flow per quarter? You know, so many billions of dollars. Is it cash flow per share? You know, $3.50 a 
cash flow per share or something like that. Just wondering if you could give us your favorite metrics that maybe rank some of those. And also, if you could show us uh, how you would uh, evaluate cash flow, uh, that'd be great. We can watch that in the live stream. Thanks again. Bye. Well, there's, as you just as he just pointed out, there's many ways to look at cash flow. So you have to determine which one is the best for the sector and stock that you're looking at because different sectors treat cash flow differently as far as how much free cash flow is worth. I like free cash flow. I also like price-to-sales ratios and price-to-cash flow ratios. Remember, cash flow is the money that's coming in, what's flowing into the company. And so that... I mean, you can't have earnings without that flow, right? you got to have that cash flow coming in, and you'd like to see it growing. Now, you can't see it growing all the time, depending on the, what type of stock. For instance, if you're looking at a huge blue-chip stock, you're not going to see much growth. You're just not, because it's too big. A small, fast-growing stock, you'll see that too. But it might not, free cash flow might not be there in a small, fast-growing stock, because they're plowing in more money into the company and they're eating up all that cash flow. It's not free yet. It's being used just to grow the company. So I like free cash flow and price to sales ratio and price to cash flow ratio. Price to cash ratio. You know, and I it's always per share kind of items on those you know, when I'm talking about it. So good question, but it's a pretty in depth topic. It really is. So I'm not gonna be able to answer it. You know, very clearly or very in-depth here. What will the next 10 years look like for stocks? Okay. I think we have a situation right now where the market is generally overvalued. And it's going to revert to the mean at some point. That means valuations will eventually to show that the stock market will not rise nearly as much as it has in the last 10 years. It's got to revert to the mean at some point. Then you add in the, th the headwinds we're faced with. Now, you've got interest rates rising. Okay, we have an environment. Now, I'm not talking about the Fed raising rates tomorrow and or last week. and uh, I'm talking about in general. We've had very low interest rates, right, before, before the recession. Then after the recession, super low interest rates, down to zero. Okay, well, for 30 years before the recession, they were falling. Now they went to zero. Well, oh, have you noticed they're on their way up since then? It's a slow, long-term process. It's going to take years. But that is a headwind, a general headwind for stock prices. Okay, so you have that. Then you have these trade disputes going on now. And that's going to affect, if the trade disputes last a, long, you know, a year, two years, three years, that's going to have a long-term effect on stock prices too. But it's more, I think, the more pervasive underlying headwind of rising interest rates and the overvaluation of stocks in general is going to hold back your returns for the next 10 years. Does that mean you can't make money? No, I'm not saying that. I'm not. I'm not saying that. Uh, you know, you still will probably make money. 
but you're not going to make the money that we've seen in the last 10 years. You know, it's going to be harder, in other words. Indexing will struggle. That's where, you know, everybody loves indexing. I'll buy an index and just follow that, you know. And, you know, well, when there is a bull market in the market, indexing works great. Notice indexing is not working so good this year. It's not very, very, it did work great last year. It, it struggled, and it's probably going to struggle going forward for a while. Yes, you'll have your run-ups and your run-downs. I'm just talking in general. You're not going to do as well. And the market's probably going to revert to the mean. And I think we all have to kind of reset our mental targets. Okay? John and Oceanside. How you doing, John? How you doing? I'm pretty good. Uh, my question is, um, I heard this uh, rumor people been talking about. If you buy a stock that is interest and you reinvest the interest and hold on to that stock, eventually you get rich. Is that true? Well, uh, it depends. Well, <laughs> that's kind of a broad <laughs> statement. Uh, when you say you're talking about dividends, right? When you buy a yes. stock and it pays dividends. I'll tell uh, you this. Dividends make up about 30 to 40% of the return of the S&P 500 over the last 100 years. Dividends are very, very important. So when you reinvest them, the answer is it will help greatly get you rich. But you have to buy the right dividend-paying stocks. You can't buy a stock that goes out of business in 20 years or 10 years. Like uh, ExxonMobil? Yeah, ExxonMobil is a perfect example. It's going to last forever. You can buy a couple of drugs companies you know, that pay very high dividends. You also want to buy companies that are growing, you know, growing their earnings and growing their dividends. So it's not just paying the dividends, but also increasing the dividends. So, John, you can build like a little portfolio of these high-dividend-paying, growing companies, and you'll do very well over time. Thank but you. More, thank you for the call. Appreciate it. 888-99-CHARTER is our number, everybody. You can reach us. We have lines open, 888-992-4278. How you doing, Manuel? Uh, I love you guys' show. I've been listening for about three months, and I learned a lot of good stuff. My question for you today was, the company I work for matches us in our 401k with their own stock, and they're telling me that the stock's going to split. You know, I know then you end up with twice as many shares, but why, why does it split is my question. Okay, good question, Manuel. I bet you there's a lot of people out there that want to know why it does that. Why does a company split? Do you know if it's going to split two for one? I'm not sure. Somebody, one of the other guys that's always paying attention to okay. 401k a lot more than I do will tell okay. me that today. Well, just to let you know that the most common split is two stocks for one, but they don't do that all the time. Sometimes it's three for two or five for three. You can do different ones. Uh -huh. But most common is two for one, so we'll try to stick with that. So what's happening is, is you had one share before at, let's say it was $50 a share. Mm -hmm. Then you're going to have two shares at $25 a share. So you didn't really increase the value of your holdings at all. Splits do not increase the value of anything. Mm -hmm. They just give you more shares. Now, why would they do that? One of the main reasons they do that, Manuel, is, is to lower the price of the stock to make it more attractive for more people to buy. Think about this. What if the stock price was $1,500 per share? How many people would be able to buy 100 shares or right, 50 no, shares? Not too many. <laughs> That's right. So they keep splitting. Microsoft did this all throughout all its history when it first started. Split two for one. So did Qualcomm, Qualcomm, which is a huge San Diego 
stock. Actually, no. I, I owned Qualcomm before it split, so I have. You can see if it never split, the price would be so high that not yeah. too many people would buy it. The most common reason, Manuel, is that they wanted to lower the price to be more attractive to more people. On the second reason they do it, the second reason they do it is to get more liquidity. In other words, if they split it two for one, they have twice as many shares out there to trade. It's more liquid. More people can buy and sell. Same, it's related to the first reason, but that's the only reason why they split the shares. Okay. Does that sound good? Well, that answered my question. Thank you very much. Okay, remember, we love beginner questions. Everyone who listens to this program either is a beginner or was one at that one time. So we welcome your question at 888-99-CHART. Now, what is the question? Is that when you hear a company say it's going to buy its own stock back, that's a good thing. Yes. But let's say the company's current stock price is $20. What price are they buying their own stock back? They usually buy it in the open market, just like you would do that. Right. What they do, if you pay attention, David, they say, we're going to buy back $500 million worth of our own stock. Right. They'll say, we'll do that over the next year, two years, five years. They'll tell you the length of time. Oh, okay. And they will say that. And then they don't just go out and buy it like tomorrow. No, 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 no. And sometimes they'll buy it when they think it's the right time to buy it on low prices. Or the most common thing is they look for a downturn in that, that stock price and they'll buy it then to try to hold the price up. Do they like dollar cost average their own stock then? The, nope. Uh-uh. They might buy $100 million today and then wait six months and buy another $200 million then. It's totally up to them and they don't tell you what their plan is in oh, detail. Oh, okay. So has their plan ever been to drive their own stock price down purposely to buy shares? Most of the time, no. It's to drive it up. No, I, no I mean, but I mean to buy their stock back at a cheaper price. No, they have no way to drive it down. They can't manipulate okay. it. In other words, oh, okay. that would be very bad, and they would get in a lot of trouble by the oh, SEC. Yeah, right. But, you know, these guys get in trouble all the time for doing crazy stuff. Oh, yeah. They, okay. If your answer is could they, the answer is yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, oh, okay. Could. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, they could. Sure. Yeah, they certainly could. They generally don't. And you'll also find that they'll announce a buyback program. And they'll say they'll buy it back within two years, and, and two years pass, and they didn't fulfill their agreement to buy back their stocks. Sometimes they don't do what they say they're going to do, too. Now, wouldn't they get in trouble for that? Because it sounds like that, that when you mention you're going to buy your own stock back, that that would raise the price of the stock up. You would think so. But they'll have reasons like we had better uses of the money. Maybe we wanted to put the uh, money into buying a new company. That was an opportunity. You know, they'll, huh. they'll come up with something. But I've yeah. seen them announce buybacks and then not actually follow through with the whole buyback. Yeah, that's not right. No. Appreciate it, Dave. Yeah, thank you, Dave. Thanks. Bye. I'm Money Manager Steve Peasley, and we're here to help you get better results, if we can, with your invested dollars. That's our goal. Do you have a question? Check in now. 888-99-CHART. Listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments though, 888 99 Chart, 888 99 CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hey guys, I was just wondering, could you please uh, just discuss crude oil prices? Uh, maybe where you foresee uh, crude oil going in the, the near future, uh, maybe some uh, geopolitical 
uh, stances and, and maybe your opinion uh, just on crude oil. And then also with that, could you just uh, discuss the uh, the dollar index and its correlation to uh, crude oil? Uh, typically, uh, they move inversely of one another, uh, but recently they have been uh, moving in the same direction. And uh, I, I don't quite understand uh, why that would be the case, uh, but just curious as to uh, what your uh, opinion is on the correlation between crude oil and the dollar index. Thank you very much. Bye. Yeah, he's right. Usually the dollar, when the dollar goes up, crude oil prices don't go up with it. And we've had both, both in the last few months, two, three months, where the dollar's gone up in value and crude oil's gone up. Remember, crude oil is valued in U.S. dollars around the world. Okay, um, so when a dollar goes down, usually crude oil prices would move up. Now, obviously, it's not all the time. There's not a perfect correlation. So why has crude oil prices gone up and dollar gone up? Mostly because of, of, of trade tensions. You know, going back about two or three months ago, you know, trade tensions between our trading partners and the, got much more coverage in the news than it was before that. You know, and of course, OPEC has a, a role to play, but their role is, so, is not nearly as strong as it used to be anymore. Um, they could usually used to be that they could OPEC could usually decide to cut production or raise production, and the price of oil would go up and down. Now, with the U.S. being the largest producer of oil and still growing, we have more supply than we need. So why isn't crude oil prices falling? And you know, remember everybody's looking forward. Maybe they see something we don't down the road. Maybe they feel that the dollar is too strong now. It's going to fall, and therefore I'm going to keep bidding up oil prices. You just don't know. Uh, but in general, you're absolutely right that dollar goes down, oil goes up. Dollar goes up, price of oil goes down. But not this time. Not in this two, three-month cycle. We haven't seen that. Remember, the dollar fell almost all last year. Do you remember that? It fell almost last year. Went sideways from February to like April. And then starting in late April, started to rise. And it's now seemingly topping. So I think we've seen a peak in oil. I think we've seen a peak in oil prices. Something dramatic has to happen to drive oil prices higher. Okay? And I don't know what that would be. And... You know, talking about trade wars, did you see what the offer was from the United States to the EU? The United States offered a zero solution, that's what it's being called, on car tariffs with the European Union. It said, the U.S. agreed to stop any tariff talk on imported cars from the EU if the EU drops their tariffs on U.S. cars imported to the EU. Doesn't that sound imminently fair? You don't charge us tariffs, we won't charge you tariffs on cars. It's that easy. And believe me, there's a lot of cars coming from Europe, especially from Germany. But you got cars from Italy, you got cars from you know different countries, but not all the countries. So the point is, is why are you charging tariffs on our products and and not expect us to charge tariffs on your cars. Why is that? So I, I kind of like it. 
But what this might signal that's more important to me is how Trump is going to go about trying to settle these kind of tariff disputes. He may do it piecemeal like this to get the best deal he can for whatever line of products he thinks is important. That's possible. But he's willing to negotiate, obviously. I find, I find this pretty fascinating, this whole topic. As I said before, I don't think we're going to be in a full-blown trade war. I think what Trump is doing is producing leverage. Producing leverage so that then he can go back and say, okay, I, I'll do this if you'll do that. That's pretty much what he's doing in my mind. That's it for today. Another Invest Talk radio show recorded for posterity. And, of course, transmitted via broadcast, via radio waves. And, of course, it'll be on, you know, podcast. You know that. Anyways, and, of course, your participation always makes it possible and fun. So let's do it again tomorrow. I'm Steve Peasley. Justin Klein and I thank you very much for being with me today. And we'll do it again tomorrow. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for listeners to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are principals of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, which retains all rights.